Now, here's your host of Sound Off, Brad Bennett. Man, Kenny, the studio is full. <laughs> it is, Brad. It is like overflowing. I wish you were here. P- I wish I was too, I'd tell you. Peter Woods, uh, you are there. Your daughter is there taking pictures. Scott Dean is in the house. And, you know, James, is it pronounced Keel? Let's get the pronunciation right right off the bat. Is it Keel? Yes, it's Keel. Okay, okay good. Uh, so proud to have you in our studio as well because uh, you're part of an American uh, tradition, American heritage, not only as a logger, but as a great American who has uh, put the uniform of our country on and uh, done a great job of uh, flying and training of, of pilots in years uh, past and uh, up to current time. Uh, Peter, why don't you uh, start off by explaining a little bit how you're connected or how you came to know of the family connection with the Keel family up in the Ely area. Hey, Brad, folks out there, Kenny, thanks for listening and taking the time out of your day to listen about the timber industry a little bit, another snapshot. And what we, who we have with us today is retired commander James Keel, U.S. Navy, uh, graduated from Ely High School back in 1988. He comes from a logging family. Uh, he was third generation logger. His dad, Elroy, is second generation, and his grandpa, Wallace, was first generation. And I have known the Keel family for, oh man, since probably 1990 or so. And, uh, you know, you get to know people through organizations and that. And I get to know them a lot. And it was always a pleasure to go talk to uh, James's um, grandpa. It was always yeah. special to talk to him for me. I really enjoyed listening to the guy. But uh, who we have today is a, this is really special, folks. Think of it this way: you grow up in Ely, Minnesota, just like anybody else. Learned to work in the woods when he's just about ready to start shaving, and been, been loving it ever since. And then go from that and become a Top Gun pilot, a literal Top Gun pilot. And it's such a pleasure to have him with folks. And uh, uh, James, with that. Uh, you 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 grew up in the logging family. What was it like growing up like that? Well, Dad was working a lot, uh, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> Mom always kind of run the household, and uh, so she kept me uh, in line with as far as school was concerned, and and I got to go out and uh, every is from a very young age, I got to go out and p- play with my dad and go out and spend time in the woods with, with my dad, uh, and uh, that passion kind of grew. And like you say, about the time I started shaving, which I don't, I can't really shave much now or anymore. So, <laughs> so it might have been just a little bit before that. Uh, I got to go out and start working uh, with with him, and uh, and got an opportunity that not many people do. So, so now, running Peter, equipment. Go ahead, Brad. Well, Peter, I was going to ask you, and maybe James at the same time. But now, James's dad was it was he one of the originators of your. Uh, logging organization? Uh, actually, Elroy was... Or was that his granddad? No, it was Elroy <laughs> himself. He was one of the founding fathers. There's, there was probably about seven, eight of them, loggers up in the area. It was formed, actually, if you would figure, up on the Iron Range, up in that part of the country, Ely, Cook, or um, Chisholm, down to Palo Markham, those areas the loggers were... And it was formed back in like the late 80s, roughly. And James's okay. dad, Elroy, was one of the guys, main first ones there. He was. 
And he spent like 34 years on your board of directors, so he's been around a long, long time. It's, I mean, the roots of logging go very deep in the Keel family. Yes, he's been there the whole time, 34 years, and he's the oldest, still one time, steady board member. He has been. And uh, now, James, James, I have a question. Um, wh- wh- when was the first time you heard a plane fly over, or saw a plane fly over that you said, "Hmm"? Boy, that sure looks like fun. I'd sure like to do that. Well, that was, uh, so I grew up right next to an airport, um, and so we'd see him flying all the time. Uh, and I got to know the uh, airport manager because we'd ride our bicycles up there as kids. And and uh, and then uh, a man named Gary Shaver, um, who uh, uh, owned his own airplane, gave my dad and I a ride from Ely, Minnesota, down to Duluth to, for my dad to pick up a logging truck. And okay. from that time on, I mean, I was... Uh, still in elementary you were school, hooked. Uh, I'm like, this is really cool. And it wasn't until my teenage years that I uh, that I really got enthusiastic about it. But as you, but in your teenage years, when you were still in high school, you were taking lessons. And by the time you graduated, you already had your private license. Correct. Yes. Um, so that was uh, the FAA. You can get your private license at age 17. Um, so when I turned yep. 17, I wanted to get my pilot's license so i went and told my dad that i had i'd worked enough and had saved up uh, a bunch of money um to pay for it and i told dad that i want to get my pilot's license and my dad's like yeah i want you to get your pilot's license but save your money for college i'll pay for it that was like the biggest (laughs) the biggest gift uh at the time in my life it was what an honor yeah now i understand originally uh james you you wanted to go in the air force and then the movie came out (laughs) Then Top Gun came out. Yeah, it was uh, it was amazing to see the difference because I the only thing I knew is I wanted to fly, and, it, and the military yeah. had a lot of different cool airplanes, and I didn't know much about naval aviation, uh, but or flying off aircraft carriers until the movie came out, and uh, I'm like, wow, that's that's really cool. I wonder if I could do that. When you're not only could you do it, not only could you do it, but you became a trainer of other Top Gun pilots. Because you were that uh, good at it uh, as a naval flyer. Now, I got to ask you, though, I'm sure you have at some point flown off a carrier, right? Correct. Uh, I have that uh, has 465 that has got... carrier landings, uh, 180 at night. Is that right? How many? Four? 465. Oh 180 at night. That, that, wow. oh, that has got to be the first time you did that. That has got to be the biggest rush of your life, I would think. It was. Oh my goodness! Uh, I remember coming back and uh, no, the the landing itself. We videotaped it, um, and you could hear me breathing on the uh, in, in the jet. Right. So um, we roll up behind the carrier, and there's 15 to 18 seconds of flying straight as we before we land or in uh, daytime landings. And when I lit, when I watched the video, uh, I realized that I held my breath at an entire 18 seconds until after I was on the carrier. <laughs> And, and was, I'll bet, uh, and I'll bet that's one of the first things they told you not to do. Don't hold your <laughs> breath. <laughs> I was so excited when I got done with that. I, uh, my mom was the first person I called. And, oh, I can imagine. And she was like, "Well, what was it like? What was it like?" And I'm like, "Mom, I can't believe it. I can't describe it. it. It was like take take your favorite thing that you love to do, 
And if God said, James, you can do your favorite thing or you can fly fighters off aircraft carriers, I would choose flying off the aircraft carrier every time. Oh, <laughs> That's man. a wide range there. A <laughs> uh, hundred and eighty times at night. That... You know, that's got to be just frightening, though, because you can't actually see the horizon. You can't, I mean, you can see the lights on the carrier, but how do you judge where you're coming in? Is it all instruments, or, or, or how do you, what, how do they train you for that? Yeah, it's all instruments uh, until you get real close, uh, probably the last uh, 10 seconds or so, where you, where you transition smoothly from instruments to visual reference sure. uh and uh literally at three miles if you hold your arm out in front of you you can cover up the entire ship all the lights of the of the big aircraft carrier with half of your pinky tip sure well think of it this way folks i mean i'm oh. not put, trying to put words in james's mouth but but think of it this way when you've been out fishing on the lake and you have a bobber and you're watching the bobber go up and down gently with the water just think of an aircraft carrier going up and down with the water, and you've got to try to figure out how to land on that object that is going up and down. Have you, of those 180 landings at night, did you do any of them in uh, what we would call rolling seas? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, usually the ship, is always, well, the ship is always moving. It's just a matter of how much. Yeah, um, yeah. We've had, we've had some big swells uh uh, where the ship, uh, back of the ship is moving plus or minus 20, 25 feet, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot for an aircraft carrier, except for the fact that when you're on glide path, your tail hook of your jet, uh, the thing that grabs the wire, is only, if you're on glide slope, it's only supposed to be 14 feet above the back end of the ship when you cross the when you cross the ramp. Ooh, yeah. So, And that's got to be... Uh, that's got to be a heck of a jolt of, of when that hook grabs you, doesn't it? I mean, that's that's G-force to nothing all, all of a sudden instantaneously. Yeah, you definitely get throw, thrown forward in your straps. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, I've never been in a car that can break like that, even even some pretty fast sports cars. Uh, i got a question, a thought. There would be a lot of people out there listening, uh, a glorious life like this. Was there ever a point in your time when you're college or training that I really – I just want to go home. <laughs> oh, so, so, I, I mean, I think I don't know what you're asking. Are you, was there any ever second thought? Was, did yeah, I ever have any thought. second thoughts yeah. as uh, as I was growing up and trying to pursue this dream? And the answer is yes. Um, it was uh, right after my freshman year in college. I was uh, I come home. I was working in the woods. I was uh, working with a um, guy named Big Al Mosier. Um, we call him Big Al because he's six seven and he's big. Um, and, he, and I was, he's, he, uh, he, he, what a great, great, great American he is. Um, I was working with him and we're dr driving back and forth to, uh, from Ely to Isabel every day, riding together. And I'm like, you know what? I don't think I want to continue. You know, I didn't, college wasn't fun. It was a lot of work. I really, I'm really having fun logging now. I think I'm just going to stick here and, and log and, uh, and continue to do this instead of going back to college. Well, I'm not a very big person. Uh, big Al is much bigger than I am, and uh, he basically he basically said, uh, "You're going back to college if I have to kick your butt all the way back to the Twin Cities myself." <laughs> Good for you, Big Al. <laughs> so I take no, that as a definite yes. It, 
Yes. Sometimes it takes somebody like that to keep you on the guide path. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? A nice yeah. cattle prod every now and then doesn't hurt. <laughs> but I understand that when you do go back to Ely, you, you're not afraid to go back out in the woods and uh, help uh, help uh, get some logs on on trucks. No, I love it. Uh, it's a it's a blessing to be able to go back. I still keep my CDL current, so I can uh, jump in Dad's logging trucks and uh, and come home and haul a couple loads now and then, or and do whatever needs to be done. Um, so it is uh, it's fun. It and I like I say I grew up doing it. I don't have to do it full time anymore. So the the love is more maybe more like a love affair. So I got competition all the way from Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, listen, guys, I, I do have to let you all know, of course, Peter knows this, is we are a commercial radio station. We uh, live on uh, the help that we get from our sponsors, and this is the period of time that we take our first break of, of the hour. Uh, we're going to do that, uh, do some commercials, and then we'll come back. I'm interested to know, James, now you're retired from the Navy now? Yes, I retired uh, almost... Ten years ago, be ten years ago okay. uh, next month. Well, do, do you miss that at all? I Every mean, I'm day. sure you must. Yeah, I miss the people. I miss the, people, I miss the flying. Fun. People are probably yeah. the thing I miss the most. I mean, we had a really tight group of uh, of pilots and uh, and friends that uh, you, you just you just can't replace. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know the feeling well. Well, listen, we're going to take our first break here. Uh, we're we're listening to "Let the Sawdust Fly." Peter Woods has brought in some guests today. Scott Dean is in the house. Uh, James Keel, a retired commander in the Navy, uh, former Top Gun flight instructor, and we'll get into it more when we come back with uh, after this quick break. Uh, let's get back to Peter. How did you stumble upon James? I mean, I know you knew the family all this time. Did you know that? James uh, was in the uh, was in the flying business for a long time. Uh, the first time I ever knew about it back in probably the late '90s, Elroy showed me a picture of uh, James in his um, fighter pilot stuff. But in, it looked like it looked like a classroom setting on an aircraft carrier, and that's when I realized his son actually did make it. And I was very impressed by that. And I thought this is a great Fourth of July All American story. It really is to come from that come from a strong working ethic background family to and it um, dovetails into being on um, um, a fighter pilot basically oh, because yeah. isn't it James wouldn't, wouldn't you real quick here went uh, doing all the equipment operating and learning from your dad and your grandpa how they instilled that in you because we always want to get better and better and better don't yes we? yeah and honestly uh, Gramps's favorite saying was work smarter not harder and my dad uh instilled in me when I first started operating running equipment was anybody can make the levers move but uh, if until you challenge yourself and continue to try to get better and better and improve over time that's when you become a true operator uh, so for example it's like hey if you cut the load in 55 minutes try to make it in 53 next time and if you don't figure out why you didn't and then move on and and fix that the next time next time you do it so that always uh self-critiquing and uh and trying always striving to get better that ethic that work ethic um really uh laid laid the groundwork for for the success that i was able to have in the military so it really translated into your ability to keep striving to be better not rest on i don't have to get better but i want to get better yes and and then the i mean even in addition to that was the fact that i had the opportunity to run logging equipment at a very young age 
uh, develop my hand-eye coordination that I think, uh, I don't think there's any way without those two traits together that, uh, that I would have made it as far as I did. I mean, I have to uh, give all the credit to my, uh, to my upbringing. With your parents sure. and family and everybody always trying, even like yes. the guy like a big L Mosier yep. telling you, no, you're the only one yeah. that has a child at this. You're not going to throw it away. Yeah, and, the whole, the whole family, grandpa, grand, grandpa, dad, mom. I mean, it was a, it was, it takes a, what's the saying? It takes a, a lot of people to run a, vi- to run a village. You take, bet. Take, well, James, uh, James, I bet there was always an emphasis, though, always on production. But all, but I'll bet you there was always an emphasis on safety at the same time. Do things as quickly and as professionally as you can, but do them safely. Yeah, you couldn't cut any corners um, when safety was concerned. Uh, and there's been enough uh, accidents in, in that dangerous industry to prove it. But the, the sure. thing is, though, also, Brad, is to get faster and accurate. You can't. You got to be accurate, but then the speed yes. has to come. And I imagine being from coming from the woods, going to a jet fighter. There's got to be similarities, but also you're you're also more, way better, more refined by a lot of things because don't you have to get everything exact all the time? There's very little tolerance for error. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean? If you drop the tree the wrong way, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah. There is no no to, no tolerance that can be taken there, I don't think. Um, look, I have one quick question, then I know we got to go to CBS News. Um, when you're on a carrier, is it like the movies? Uh, is the is the, uh, the flight room or what are they, what do they call the, the, is the, it ready, the ready room? room? Yes, yeah, the, the ready, ready room. room. Is that... Is that kind of like that, where the, they have the nice cushiony chairs for each pilot? You sit there, you listen to the plans for what you're going to do, how you're going to do it. You, you pre-plan, everything is set up. Yeah, it, it's exactly the way it is. Uh, and every squadron gets together, and you talk about each flight beforehand, and there's multiple different flights going on throughout the day. Um, and one of the, uh, as a matter of fact, you, if you ever meet my dad, you can ask him, because uh, one of the coolest things I ever got to do was bring my dad and grandpa out to uh, Pearl Harbor, and they when I came back from deployment in 1998 on the USS Abraham Lincoln, they flew out and met me in Pearl Harbor and sailed with me back on the carrier all the way back to San Diego, and they got to, they got to watch uh, and observe flight operations and got to see me uh, strap the jet on and get shot off the pointy end of the ship and come back and catch the three-wire. About, what wow. is it like to have that, that? What is it, a catapult, or what the heck yeah, is that the, thing? So the catapult, so yeah. here, quick side funny story um my stateroom that i slept in was right at the end of the catapult so the catapult goes really fast and it has to stop well it hits a water break um and it makes a big bang and and then the piston the steam piston slows down while it hits this hits this water break well my bed the rack that i slept in was right at the end of the water break so every time the catapult launched it would reach the end and the, the wall in my my room would shake so my dad, my dad, and my grandpa were on the carrier the first time, and we're they're getting ready. They're testing the catapult, and they're shooting what's called no loads on the catapult. And it's like five o'clock in the morning. You're bang, and my dad, and my grandpa sat straight up in bed and go, "What the heck's going on? Are we under attack? What's going on?" <laughs> I'm like, "No, no, they're just shooting no loads on the cats." I went back to sleep. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it would have to be a little difficult to get real good sleep and rest. Did you sleep with earphones on or anything? Or? No, it's amazing how the body can adjust to just about anything, right? And, uh, yeah, and you can true. train you can train yourself, especially, you know, uh, I was in my late 20s, early 30s, so I was still a young man then. 
able able well, to listen, sleep through anything. Yeah. Listen, guys, we ha- we have to take our CBS News break, but uh, we're going to come back with much more. We're going to go to the top of the hour uh, with our guests. Uh, when we come back, I want Scott to Scott Dean to weigh in too and uh, talk a little bit about uh, the feelings of uh, seeing somebody that came out of the woods be able to achieve such greatness. Uh, but uh, we got much more to go here on Let the Sawdust Fly, and we'll be coming back shortly. Giant redwood, the larch, the fir, the mighty Scotch pine, the smell of fresh-cut timber, the crash of mighty trees. With my best girl by my side, we'd sing, sing, sing. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works Brad's all day. Brad's going to pin this on me. There, there we are. There, there we are. Brad. Here he comes. There we are. Peter Woods and the Logging Choir breaking the song. <laughs> all me, right? Yeah. Glad I'm a logger. But anyway, uh, Brad, uh, once again here, folks, thanks again. And, uh, yes, Scott, Scott Dane is in here, and we want to get uh, Scott from, from your shoes and what you see. What, what do you think of this situation here? We've got a retired air, aircraft carrier pilot. Well, you know, I've known uh, James's father and his grandfather for a long time. His grandfather was in the woods until he was in his 90s, um, quite a legend himself. Uh, Elroy's father, I mean, excuse me, James's father, Elroy, um, you know, he was always one of those guys behind the scene that would call me up and say, Scott, we need to do a truck convoy through downtown Duluth, you know, so organize that. And uh, that's when we ran 75 logging trucks right down the cobblestone roads with your father in the front seat of the pickup truck. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, so I've known the, the family a long time, 20 years. I've known the story. I thought it would be a great story to tell. Uh, my father retired from the Navy. I was a Naval Reserve officer. My uh, son graduated from Naval Academy, so there's that connection there as well. Um, but it's an example of logging families across the country. And now that I work for the American Loggers Council, representing loggers in 38 states, I see that, where loggers are raising their kids, and most of the time they prefer to follow in the father's footsteps and, and do that same thing. But sometimes the, the challenges are, are, are difficult and and the the father or the the family wants a better opportunity and uh the point is they've instilled in these uh their kids a work ethic that allows them to be successful at whatever they're doing and that's exactly the example that uh, james's story uh shares you know going from the woods to a top gun pilot and and all the um, uh, success that he's had and i see that across the country with uh, logging families when their kids choose to pursue a different uh, route a different lifestyle um, than logging, but they're always successful because of the foundation that was instilled in, in them, the work ethic. So, so uh, Scott, Scott uh, sorry, Brad, there. Um, well, I was just I was just going to ask Scott. Uh, Scott, wouldn't you agree that you think um, loggers and truckers in general are probably one of the more patriotic group of people? I see that all the time, even when you're on the road driving let's say between Florida and Minnesota all the time, the truckers generally that you see are a very patriotic group of people. They, they are the uh, true salt of the earth. Uh, Americans uh, through and through, their blood is blue. And, uh, you know, I talked to uh, James's father uh, the, earlier this week, and they said, yep, getting the logging trucks ready for the 4th of July parade in Ely. 
Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Wow. wow. I'm the lucky one that gets to drive it. <laughs> <laughs> He's always driving something. Of course. <laughs> What's the difference? Loggy truck or jet fighter? Who's the, who can tell the difference? But uh, oh, One thing that everybody's listening and thinking out there, James, now, uh, Commander Kuehl, Kuehl, um, when you were when you were doing the flying in that in Top Gun, could you explain to the folks out there you were you're in Top Gun, you're out, sure. you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so the the whole the way my career progressed was um, after my s- second deployment in 2000, I went to Top Gun. Uh, I did well enough and was fortunate enough to have people look out for me and invite me to back to, or invite me to stay there and become a Top Gun instructor. So I did that for three years. And then I went back to the uh, carrier, back to Operational Navy, uh, an operational squadron. Um, I did uh, a deployment on the USS John C. Stennis, uh, another deployment on the USS Ronald Reagan. Um, And then when that tour was up, I went to, uh, I took a break out of the cockpit, uh, a total of four and a half years. I did a joint staff tour as well as got my master's degree um, at the U.S. Naval War College. And then uh, um, it was right before. It was during my first Top Gun tour that I met my wonderful wife, Sarah, and uh, she has um, blessed me with three wonderful kids, and they are amazing. Uh, Jake is uh, 16 years old now, going to be a junior. Paige is going to be a sophomore at 15, and Grace uh, is going to be uh, an eighth grader at, at age 13. Um, wow. Anyway, the... The family came in halfway through my military career. My personal family came in, um, and uh, and after my joint staff tour, I was looking at either going back to the carrier and deploying, um, or finding, or and I tried to find something else. And that was my second tour that I got to go back uh, to where Top Gun was. I wasn't an instructor every day in a day out. I was the operations officer, but I got to fly and instruct with Top Gun again for the second three years of my career. Um, so wow. the decision to not um, make another deployment uh, it was solely based on on, on the fam- my family, my kids, and my wife. Sure, wow. sure. James, um, James, explain the difference a little bit. Now, it used to be what, for example, when the first movie came out. It was called Top Gun School. I don't think they call it that anymore. Yeah, do they, they still do. It, it's still it's still the they? United States Navy Fighter Weapons School, and it has been since okay. 1969. Um, Located it, down in San Diego, or it was in of, San Diego, uh, and then in 1996 they relocated it from San Diego to uh, Fallon, Nevada. So just uh, it's north of Las Vegas by about uh, five hours by car, um, a lot less by jet. And uh, yeah. and about, about five an minutes by jet. <laughs> depends on the fuel load. Yeah, depends on fuel load. And then uh, about sixty miles east of Reno, um, in Lake Tahoe. But that's where oh, okay. uh, that's where Top Gun Naval Strike and Air Warfare Center is. What it was called when I was there. Now it's called uh, Nautic uh, Naval Air Warfare Development Center. Um, and now uh, the, qu- the question the question James is rolling around in my head. How much do these guys like Tom, uh, uh, you know, Tom Cruise actually know? Uh, I mean, do they have to learn a certain amount of uh, language and, uh, you know, just terminologies and things? Or do they actually get to maybe get in the backseat of a flight and w- with a pilot like you and actually fly a little bit? Uh, yeah. So it's a huge uh, um, I, I was fortunate the second fortunate of my second tour there that I actually got to meet Tom Cruise, Jerry Bruckheimer and uh, and the director of the first Top Gun, uh, Tony Scott. 
Um, and it was amazing to see what true professionals those people were and how uh, appreciative they were of what we were doing and how interested they were um, in learning about our culture, about our profession, and the physical demands of flying, uh, as well as the whole fighter pilot uh, persona. Um, it was, I mean, here I get to meet the one person. The first movie was, I don't know if we covered this yet, but the first Top Gun movie was the whole reason why I chose the Navy in the first place. Um, yes, so I get my, to meet the guy that inspired me in my entire career, and he's more interested in me than than in what I'm doing. It was it was just very humbling. It, it was a it, it was an amazing experience. Well, I tell you, I I talked to Peter at length the other night, and I mentioned to him one of my greatest uh, uh, people I ever got to meet in my life was a, a Navy flyer by the name of David Wheat, who still lives in the Duluth area. In fact, who knows, Davey, David might even be listening this morning. But David Wheat was a, a flyer off the Oriskany during the Vietnam War, uh, was a second-seater in an F-4 Phantom that uh, got shot down over North Vietnam. He was held as a prisoner of war at the Hanoi Hilton for seven and a half years. And my wife and I got to go with him and his wife back to Vietnam for the first time ever. And I got to experience and listen to some of the stories and tales that he told. It was just phenomenal, phenomenal. It'll, it, it's something that will stay with me the whole rest of my life. I, I can only imagine. I can't even come close to imagining what they went through uh, back in the Vietnam era. Uh, I mean, that generation of, of true Americans, uh, it, brings, it, it really touches my heart. Well, and it, just uh, listening to the stories and experiences of what it, what it was like to have uh, all of a sudden all your lights on your panel start flashing, the indication that you've got a SAM missile bearing down on you. I, I can't even, for the life of me, even imagine what that must be like. But it's got to be uh, it's got to be hair raising. Brad, I want to jump in real fast since you're talking about the veterans in the uh, Vietnam War and point out that uh, James's father, Elroy Keel, was drafted uh, during the Vietnam War and uh, was sent right? over to Vietnam. Yes. Wow. Fantastic. Well, uh, just a, an experience like nothing else. And the, the experiences that you guys went through learning and flying and uh, uh, even to this very day, uh, the experiences. You know, talk a little bit about what the what the demands are on the human body, because we kind of kidded about the first time you landed, you held your breath for about 18 seconds. But there's a lot of these things that they tell you on certain experiences when you're taking off, when you're landing, things you have to do. How do you go about learning to relax and not be all tensed up when you're coming in for a landing? Everybody has their own little idiosyncrasy or any own little routine that they go through that they that helps them relax uh one of my first squadron commanding officers um uh, commander lorge now he's a retired three-star admiral he told me to wiggle my toes in my boots seriously <laughs> Some, right? something as little as that it and, it and it distracted me enough so it relaxed me and and uh even today if uh if uh, flying for united airlines um if uh if it's a challenging if the weather's really crappy and we're dodging thunderstorms and and the winds are blowing like crazy if i if i feel myself getting a little tensed up i just wiggle my toes and my boots <laughs> we'll have to remember well, that whatever folks. works <laughs> 
<laughs> Kenny's hollering at me, you should do that in the woods. Well, it's a little bit different flying a plane that's metal in the air than running equipment in the woods. You don't ever have a tree coming uh, close to you that... Well, we've had an exciting uh-huh. moment. Oh, yeah, but... Now you wiggle your toes. Oh, yeah. Now we'll have to... All loggers out there are going to start wiggling their toes. <laughs> I wonder how many logging trucks are listening to this now, and all, all the drivers are going, oh, that really feels good. Yeah. yeah. It's going to go on all the safety programs and everything. <laughs> wiggle your toes. Guys oh. on Navy carriers do. But, uh, what, what, uh, we have a little time here yet, but what, what would you tell... Um, what was it like the first time they came to Top Gun to do the movie um meeting with tom cruise and the other folks and was it pretty exciting you were you were in charge of lining up the planes and everything right well yes uh so to finish that story real quick um this was 2012 the movie didn't uh so on they decided to make the movie in august of 2012 um, and we were supposed to start filming in 2013 unfortunately uh due to a tragic due to a tragedy tony scott is no longer with us and so they had to postpone the, the actual filming of the movie until 2017, and they found a new director. Um, ah. So I didn't get a chance. Uh, I mean, I did a little bit of talking t- with the Hollywood types, and, and I was getting ready to clear the schedule and make, and make the production of the movie a possibility based on the availability of naval airplanes and fighters. Uh, and assets, but I never got to that. I never got to that point. Um, the movie was put on hold. I retired in June of 2013 uh, from active duty, and then uh, and then you know it wasn't four years later until they decided to, that they found another director so, and they decided to film it. So when they were filming this, you know the people that are in the credits. I take it on that actual film. So you know a lot of these people. Yeah, I know. I pretty much 99% of them. As if I could. So I wanted as. As I rent the movie, I want I pause it and I go, yep, yes, 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 yes. When it comes to the credits, I mean, that sounds kind of strange, but well, but you got to see the premiere, or or yeah, on the midway. No, no. So the the premiere, the Hollywood, the red carpet premiere was on the midway, and that happened in May. And then before it was released, the Wednesday before it was released, they had a special screening in Hollywood, where my wife and I got to go out and watch. It was just for the cast and crew, and, and because yeah. uh, one of the as- associate producers, a guy that I talked a lot to and uh, he interviewed me um, way back in 2012, he gave a, he um, called me up and said, "Hey, you want you want you want tickets to this?" And I'm like, "Is this a joke?" <laughs> yes, of course I want to go to. <laughs> uh, and so uh, the movie, unlike every movie you see in a theater, when you when you walk out, there's usually a bunch of previews. Jerry Bruckheimer walked out and said, "Hey, I just want to thank everybody that had a part in this." And uh, roll them, so it went straight to the movie. Oh, fantastic! Well, listen, guys, we got to take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back and uh, allow Peter and uh, Scott to wrap it up with you guys. Uh, got to take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back here. So we'll be right back. Ah, uh, yeah, one of my favorites, wood chopper ball. Yep, yep. <laughs> Once again, pretty great. Uh, Brad, I just got one thing. We're going to run out of time here, Brad, really quick. Sure. And there's one thing that's been kind of gnawing at me a little bit that I'd like to ask uh, Commander Kiel. Kiel. I'm so used to saying with your dad, it's, it's bad. I'm from up here, okay? But if, if uh, there's uh, parents listening out there and young students that are 16, 17, 18, and they have dreams and they have no clue how to get there, but they have they they got to have raw talent first, and they got to have a great work ethic. Uh, Commander, what would you tell them 
to pursue what you pursued? What would you tell that individual sitting there, 16, 17, 18, and they're, I would love to be that jet fighter pilot too? Well, I would start out with uh, not only does it take a, a little bit of – I don't have a lot of raw talent for the record. Um, All right, a little bit, of, little bit of raw talent. Yeah, uh, a, sure. great, a great work ethic is essential, um, but also uh, an academic background. So study hard in school. Uh, your selection throughout, uh, at least just to get into Navy flight school, is all based on your academics, um, and you're competing against everybody in, everybody in the country. So uh, pick something that you love to study. Uh, get a bachelor's degree. There's multiple ways to get a commission, uh, whether it's ROTC, Naval, one of the cat service academies, um, or uh, there's even other options, officer candidate school. Uh, get a commission, uh, become a commissioned officer in the in the Navy if uh, if that's your choice, and and that opens up the doors. That will allow you to um, allow you to pursue pursue aviation. Uh, from the military standpoint. So you have to do all these other things before you can go anything close to walking on the tarmac, so to speak. Yes. you have. I mean, it was uh, college and ROTC was the first thing that I didn't really – I didn't love it. It was a necessary um, – it was necessary to get there. Yep. Um, one, of the, one of the hurdles you have to go over, uh, and, uh, and honestly, the selection is based on your academic ability, so study. You put that work ethic P- in the books. Peter uh, – yep. Peter and Scott, uh, I got to tell you, this was a great show. You got to have James on again. Uh, James Keel, Commander James Keel, what a pleasure to have you on the show on Sound Off. Uh, the honor's all mine. Just, and we would love to have you back on again. We'll, so, Peter, we'll you're going to have to arrange it again here coming up. Yep. Fourth of July all comes right. once a year, folks. <laughs> There you go. Thanks right. for having Thank us on, so Brad. Much. Appreciate it greatly. Oh. And folks out there listening, thank oh. you so much. We appreciate it greatly. All right, folks. Well, we got an hour of the show yet to come. Uh, thank you so much to James Keel, Commander James Keel, retired from the U.S. Navy Top Gun Flighter School. Uh, Scott Dane and uh, Peter Wood for having them, having them on as your guests. And we will be back with hour number three coming up in just a little while.